0: Good morning, men. Invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we will be. Some of you who read ahead, um, notice that we're going to be looking today, a little switching gears a little bit, looking at the Lord's Prayer, looking at Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. You know, when I, when I do weddings, um, it's always interesting to me when, when the, uh, the congregation that's there includes maybe some people from, you know, Presbyterian church, and then the other half of the room is from a different background. And we say the Lord's Prayer if, the, if that's what the couple has wanted to have happen in the service. And even though it's listed, and I know it's coming, but I think a lot of people don't know it's coming. We get to that one part, and half the group says debts, and the other half says trespasses, right? And, and it throws everybody, it throws the, the debtor people are really thrown off. I think the trespass people are, are good, because they've got to focus on saying that without it being a tongue twister, right? Because you got trespass and our trespasses against us. Like, it's a lot. You're focused. The debt people, totally thrown off. They can't pray anymore, because they hear this trespass, you know. So I just want, just for, just for interest, now, where I am now, currently, uh, the church that here at Second Pres and the church, churches I've been in for the last, well, really since college, have all been uh, debts. They say debts, right? But I grew up with trespasses. So I'm looking for, for uh, either what you are now or how you grew up, okay? So um, if you are a, a guy that grew up with trespasses against us in the Lord's Prayer, raise your hand. Whoa, look at that. A lot of good Baptists here. If you grew up as uh, a a guy with debts right from the beginning, all right, wow, you guys are outnumbered. That's interesting. Some of you who are trespasses guys are thinking that must prove that we're right about the trespasses thing right there. Um, This is such a familiar passage, and I was struck. I mean, I thought about this uh, weeks ago, but I certainly thought about it as I began to study for it uh, last week. Uh, How do we keep from checking out this morning? So familiar verses how do we keep from it not just glazing over and like yeah I know the Lord's prayer and 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 yet the reality is for what we're facing in our country but in our city right now this teaching that Christ does on prayer is so important for us and so relevant like so in the now for us and I and I, my prayer is that the Lord the Holy Spirit will sharpen our minds and our hearts so that we don't check out to a passage that, that is, for many of us, extremely familiar. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. And this is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Before we dive into the three things I want us to see in this passage, there is some significant scripture context that I think is important for us to have here. First of all, let's just pull back and look at the series we've been on. We're looking at prayer, we're learning how, how to become men of prayer. And as we've talked about over and over again, this is where the battle for everything that we see in this life is actually won. The Lord is the one who fights for us. We go to the Lord in prayer. And so we've been looking at this whole semester, the issue of prayer and prayers in scripture. And we spent the first third of our semester looking at prayers in the Old Testament. Now this morning, we're going to start the middle third. We're going to look at the prayers of Jesus. And we're going to take some time over the next several weeks to look specifically at the prayers of Jesus. Near the end of the semester, we're going to look at the prayers of the church. And looking at those in, in Acts and into the epistles. So that's the context of what we're doing here. And understanding that we've been looking at what it means to call upon the name of the Lord in the Old Testament. Remember the whole point, beginning in Genesis 4, was they, they knew the promise that had been given in Genesis and now they're praying throughout the Old Testament, Lord, please bring that promise. Please fulfill what you said. And that's the prayers of the Old Testament. Please bring that about. And now, in Christ, God is beginning to answer that. We're beginning to see God is going to bring in the promise that he intended all along. So when we look back a few pages, for instance, in Matthew um, The Gospel of Matthew, we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, as he begins his ministry, it says from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your prayers are going to be answered now. I'm here. This thing is starting. And then in verse 23 of chapter 4, it says about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, The gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's saying it's here now. The answer to your prayers is happening. It's it's, it's not fulfilled until Christ's return. But it begins as Christ comes into the world for the very first time. And here in a particular passage, verses uh, chapter 6, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So chapter 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount. It goes to chapter 7. Jesus is speaking as he sits down on that hillside to this group of people, specifically speaking to his disciples. There's also, in Luke chapter 11, there's also a, a moment where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and, and we see the Lord's Prayer there also. A lot of uh, debate about whether or not, you know, are these the same moments? Why is, why is there more included in Matthew than it's included in Luke? I actually think, would agree with the scholars who would say, that these are two different incidences. That Jesus was often teaching his disciples about prayer, and this is what he wanted them to get to understand. This form that he's going to show us is something he taught more than one time. And so what we see in Luke 11 is just another, instant in, another time in which Jesus taught his disciples, hey, when you pray, pray like this. And specifically in chapter 6, I want us to see the context of the verses here. that that they're all coming under, verse 1 of chapter 6, where Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then he goes on and he talks about your giving, you know, your your tithing, your giving your gifts to God. He talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And he's saying throughout this whole part of this sermon, Make sure... That you're not practicing your righteousness for other before other people in order to be seen by them, to be showy. And so that's why he says in verse 5, the beginning of what we're looking at today don't be a hypocrite. Don't be praying so people go, Wow, that guy, that guy is a that guy's a man of prayer. Don't, don't, don't have your prayer life be something that you're using to try to prove to other guys. That you follow Jesus. Make sure that when you pray, your prayers are about going to the Lord himself. I remember years ago, i was over a decade ago, uh, when Sandy Wilson was teaching about this on a Sunday morning. And he, he, he kind of struck some of us in the congregation a little hard on this, but I think he's right. He said, for example, some families I know have thought, hey, are we going to pray in the restaurant or are we not going to pray in the restaurant? And then the decision was to pray in the restaurant before you eat in order that other people might see, and he's like, you're off right there. You don't pray in a restaurant so other people will see. You pray in the restaurant because you're thankful that God has given you this meal. You're going to Him, not to be seen. And I Jesus also says, not only not be a hypocrite, but don't, don't be praying with a bunch of empty words. Don't be wordy in your prayers. Don't just keep going on and on and on because you think if you go on and on and on, you're going to get my attention. You got my attention. Don't be going on and on and on in order to be seen by other, other people. So people are like, wow, that guy, man, he's just got some great prayers. Don't be doing that. And also it says don't be using empty words. We've got to be careful with that. Sometimes I think <laughs> I've done it. We pray some prayers, especially before mealtimes, where we're praying some prayers. And, I mean, we're just using words. We learn. We don't even... It's, I can really see it <clears throat> when we hear, uh, you know, you hear the, the, the eight-year-old son praying, you know, something along... You know, would you please pray for the meal? And he, he asks the Lord to bless the food for the nourishment of our bodies. And you're like, that he never says that anywhere else, right? Like, he's just repeating words he's heard about... <laughs> From somebody else, he's not thinking. The sad part is sometimes you can be 57 years old and be using those prayer words and not really be thinking. Jesus is saying, "Don't do that. Don't do that. This is this is serious. This is a big deal." And so, in that context, we then get to verse nine, where Jesus says, "Pray then like this." And it's important for us to realize that what Jesus is saying is that when we pray, this is the This is the formula, this is the structure of our prayers. He's not saying, pray this. Some of you are like, wait, we do that every Sunday morning. Well, that's a reminder for us when we repeat the Lord's prayer. It's a reminder for us that this is the structure of prayer that God taught us. And Jesus isn't saying, pray exactly this. He's saying, when you pray, pray like this. And so he gives us in these verses things that are very helpful for us to understand prayer. And the first is this. There in your outline, this is Christ's gift. It's Christ's gift. Verse 9 says, or the second part when he says, pray then like this, he says, Our Father in heaven. Two things there that are in that phrase. First of all, intimacy. Intimacy. Our Father. When you look throughout the prayers of the Old Testament, even in the Psalms, while God has mentioned His Father, You're not going to find God's people praying to Him as Father. They prayed to Him as Yahweh, uh, Jehovah. They prayed to Him with those names of God that He had given them. And they didn't pray in the Old Testament Father. Jesus tells His disciples, He tells us, When you go to God, pray to Him as your Father, as your Abba. And what's happening here is Christ is ushering in a new intimacy for us. And not only that, he says, our father. So this isn't just, this isn't God is the father of everyone in in the world. That's not what it's saying. It's saying through Christ, he's your father. Some of us in here have had pretty good fathers, though they were sinful. Some of us in here maybe didn't have a father, had a very absent father. Some of us in here maybe have had very evil fathers. The thing we need to remember when we see this in this passage is that God is a perfect father. Whatever you longed for in a father, God is that. Whatever intimacy, whatever compassion, whatever kindness, whatever protection, whatever care, whatever level of knowledge about you and what you, what you, who you were like and what, what you liked. God is everything like that and beyond that, that kind of intimacy. And he's your father. He's not just generally everyone's, but his own children, his own sons. This is our father in heaven. So you see there, there's an intimacy and there's also a sovereignty. This father is in heaven. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. Now, why did I say Christ's gift? Why did I start and say, this is Christ's gift? It's this. Because this whole thing that we have in prayer, and ultimately this thing that we have that we get to call God Father, that He is our Father, has been secured for us through Christ's death and resurrection. We don't have that unless He does it. I want you to imagine for me going in. I, I think about this a lot. Imagine going at, with your, your dad. Let's say you're 10 years old, and you're, and you're, you're there Uh, at the time of David, at the time, or excuse me, it'd be be the time of Solomon, and you're going into the temple that's there in Jerusalem, this magnificent temple that was built. Absolutely magnificent temple that was built. And you're going there with your dad, and you're going on the Day of Atonement. It's a special day. It's the high day of of, um, the Old Testament moment, understanding God's forgiveness and His graciousness. And you're getting to go to the temple on that day. And you're there in the outer courts. That's that's pretty special that you get to be there in the outer courts. And you're seeing some of the priests. And you can see in the distance this magnificent temple where the holy place is. And then the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And you know because your dad has told you that it's only the priests that can go into the holy place. And he tells you what's in the holy place. And then he tells you, but on this day, son, on this day, there'll be one priest chosen to go into the holy of holies. The only time ever during the year that anybody gets to go in there. And this one priest, your dad tells you, this one priest will go in there And he'll he'll take the blood from the sacrifice and he'll sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God rests. He'll be in the very presence of God, that priest. And maybe as a 10-year-old boy, you're looking to say, well, Dad, which priest is it? Can I see him? I want to see the priest that's going in to the Holy of Holies in that moment. And as you and I know from our understanding, understanding of Jewish history, that it was a, it was a truly terrifying thing, though an honor for the priest to go in. It was an absolutely terrifying thing for the priest to go in because you knew how unholy you were, and you were going into the very presence of God. It was—he's he, a mighty God. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. And they remember—they they tied bells around the bottom of their robes, and they tie a rope around his his ankle. The reason for the bells is because if they none of the other guys were going in, but if they didn't hear the bells moving, if they didn't hear the bells jingling, they knew the guy probably was just dead. Like the presence of God had wiped him out. (laughs) And the reason for the the rope around his ankle is that we're not going in to get him, we're just gonna pull him out. (laughs) So even think about how terrifying that is as a priest, to just have the bells and the rope. You're like, yeah. Walking into the presence of God, you're looking as a 10-year-old boy thinking, is that the priest, dad? Who's going in? And that that giant curtain, 30 feet thick. And then what happens when Jesus says, it is finished? Gospels tell us that that curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom. God himself ripped it open. God himself, because of the sacrifice of Christ, ripped open that holy place, and now you and I get to walk in, not in fear, but with confidence, every day, not just on the Day of Atonement. Every day you and I get to walk into the presence of God with confidence, into the Holy of Holies. Turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews. I want you to see these three passages. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In my uh, Sunday school class, Sojourners, we're studying the book of Hebrews, and Larry Jensen and I are getting the privilege to teach through this. If you, don't have a, if you go to 2nd Pres and you don't have a Sunday school, come join us because it is some exciting stuff that we're getting to go through in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. First of all, look at verse 14 of Hebrews 4. It says this, talking about Jesus. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look what it says in verse 16. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace. That's the Holy of Holies. That's the place where God is. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Turn over to chapter 6. Just a a page or so. Chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 19. Actually, I'm going to read the, the last part of verse 18. It says... We have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19 of chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And then look over in chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's how we go in. We have confidence, not in fear, confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Brothers, we get to do that now, every day if you want to. With confidence to draw near to your heavenly Father. What a gift. What a gift. I know some of us think when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, man, I want to talk to Moses. And going to be like, Moses, what, what was it like to be there on the mountain?" You know, what was that like? What was it like when you saw the, 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 the cloud, the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire come rest on the tabernacle? What was it like? And you know, Moses is going to say to you, what was it like to have the Spirit of God rest inside you? <laughs> Tell me what it was like to enter into the Holy of Holies with confidence every day of your life. Moses is going to ask you that. What a gift we have, brothers. Let's not, let's not neglect this gift. But let's see it as it is. And, and as we think about that, let's move on into the rest of this prayer. So now we've been given this gift, our Father in heaven, Christ give. Next thing Christ wants us to, to pray is God's glory. God's glory. Notice this is where prayer must start. There's six petitions here. Six. Some some people want to say, oh, no, there's seven, because in verse 13, there's two. But most scholars would say, no, verse 13 is one petition. So there's six petitions there in those verses. Hallowed be your name, one. Your kingdom come, two. Your will be done, three. Give us our daily bread, four. Forgive us our debts, five. Lead us not into temptation, six. Six petitions. And what do we usually do when we go to prayer? We usually go to number four and number six. We usually skip the rest. We usually go straight to number four. Lord, I want to, can we talk about my physical needs? And can we talk about I need you to protect me from stuff, some stuff? And Jesus says, no, no, when you pray, when you go into the Holy of Holies, and you speak to your Father who is all-powerful, this is the way you start. You start you start with the, glo- with the glory of God. And we see those three things there. First of all, His name, the glory of His name. You know from our study of the Old Testament, this is his character. This is talking about the holiness of God as his very being. So his name, remember when he was asked his name in the Old Testament? Who, God, what, what do I, Moses says at the burning bush, when I go and say that you sent me, who, who do I say has sent me? Who do I tell the people? And God says, this is my name. I am who I am. I love that. <laughs> I am who I am. God says that that is my name because that's his character. He is everything. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. He's perfectly loving. Everything that we would know, everything that might be reflected in us that is true and right, finds its perfection in God. And so our prayers, the desire of our prayers begin with this idea, God, I want your name to be known as holy in every place, beginning with my own heart. It's not that we're praying that God would be holy. He is. It's not that God's name would be hallowed. It is, in a sense, because He's God. But we're saying, God, make that happen in my own heart. Make that happen in my neighborhood, in my home, in my relationships, in my city, in my country. Lord, would you bring those things about, and would they begin with me? Brothers, this is everything, that the name of God would be glorified, that God would be seen as he is, is everything. In fact, (laughs) that is the solution for Memphis, Tennessee, that God would be seen as he is, that God would be seen in all his glory. That God would be known in all His compassion. That God would be known in all His forgiveness. That God would be known in all His salvation. That God would be known in all His justice. That God would be known in every way as all-powerful, as all-knowing, as coming again. That's the answer. That's the answer for Memphis, Tennessee. So we go to prayer. We begin by going, God... You are magnificent. Oh, I long, like Psalm 34 says, Lord, help me to magnify your name. Help me to put a magnifying glass on your glory so that when people see me and interact with me, that, 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 it, that, that you are magnified, that your glory, your name is hallowed. His name. Secondly, his kingdom. His kingdom. God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to be here. I know, it's, I know it started because you say when Christ, when you came, I know, Lord, you said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I know it's begun, but I know it's not here yet. I know there's yet a day for it to, to happen. But please, Father, I've seen different times where your kingdom has come down in power in this country and in other countries and other places in history. And it's almost like the taste that we've had of your kingdom has been like a banquet. Even though we know it's not the full thing. Oh Lord, would you have your kingdom come in this place? And would you have it start in our own hearts and minds? See, that's where the kingdom of God is. See, the the whole Sermon on the Mount what Jesus is bringing about he's, they, they the Jewish people what they wanted is they wanted a they wanted a messiah who was going to come and handle all the political power. They wanted a messiah who was going to come and make Israel great again. That's what they wanted. Jesus comes and says, "No, I want to I want to get in your hearts. I want to get in your minds." So in the sermon on the mount, he's he's talking to them, he's saying, "Hey, you've heard it said, don't do this stuff." Don't, you know, You've heard it said that you know you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, that's external. That's the, yeah, and that's good. Don't do that. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And I'm sure that people are like, whoa, 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 Jesus. (laughs) See, Jesus was after hearts. He said, You've heard it said that, you know, you should, an eye for an eye, that you should go ahead and, and get vengeance. I tell you, if you have hatred in your own heart, you've already committed murder. Whoa. See, the kingdom of God has come into our hearts and minds. That's what what the king wants to bring. He wants it to start with us. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we've got to be honest. Lord, start with me, start in my house. I know what we want to do. We want to say, <laughs> start in the White House. <laughs> that's what we want to say. Your kingdom come, start in the White House. Well, that's, I do hope he gets to the White House. Start in my house. Your kingdom come in my house. Lord, where, where do we need to change? What do we need to do differently in my house? In order for your kingdom to be here. You know, revival, This, I'm, I'm so encouraged about what has been happening for the last few weeks at Asbury uh, and at Asbury University, Lee University, Sanford University, um, a couple other places where um, it, it appears that revival is taking place. I know some people want to critique that, and here's my, here's, my, here's my critique. If we've got college students who want to spend time praying and confessing their sin and praising God, I'm good with that. I'm not going to spend time critiquing that. What a waste of time that is. Praise the Lord, the Spirit's been poured out like that. But as you look at the history, or and as you look at the history of revivals and great awakenings in the United States, you understand that the history, where it begins, it begins with the transformation of hearts and it, it involves unbelievable amounts of repentance. Repentance. All of revival begins with God's people being struck by the holiness of God and their need for a Savior. And it's it, it begins with confession upon confession upon confession. Because the kingdom of God, when it comes, it comes into our hearts and minds. It starts there. I do pray. Let's pray. Let's pray that this revival... We have seen on these campuses turns into a great awakening. We've seen four great awakenings in the history of the United States. I know people want to argue uh, that the reason that we've enjoyed such um, uh, blessing in the United States for you know hundreds of years is because of um, you know our our form of government and all that. I I, I don't think that's true. Capitalism is no is, is no more a biblical construct than socialism is. Um, that's not the issue. You know what I think the issue is? I think the issue is that God has had mercy on us and has provided for us many revivals and four great awakenings. I think that's why. I think that's been the greatest blessing. I think that's been what's held on to the morality at times in the United States. The difference between a revival and, a, and a, an awakening, a revival is something that happens in certain communities like Asbury Community, that's a, that's a revival. When it starts to spread to entire parts of the United States or entire parts of a nation, that's when it's called an awakening. And, I, and the, 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 the day after I heard what was happening at Asbury, and I, I've, I've read enough history about revivals and awakenings to know that looks like revival. <laughs> what, what's happening... I've read about before. I saw it in the early 90s happening started at Wheaton College. Same thing. And I'm like, "Ooh, Lord, do that. Let's do that." And let's pray that it spreads that the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will spread that type of conviction. That's what it means, brothers, when the kingdom, when you say, "Your kingdom come." The kingdom is coming to Asbury. The kingdom is coming to Sanford. May the kingdom come. To Memphis, and may it start in this room. May it start in our hearts. Oh, it would be great if revival broke out in this room. <laughs> Lord, your kingdom come, his name, his kingdom, his will. So your will be done. When your kingdom comes, then Lord, you put into action what you want to happen. And what does it mean, His will? We know His will. You look at Scripture, you can see it clearly. Righteousness is His will. Love is His will. Forgiveness is His will. Compassion is His will. Justice is His will. All of those things are God's will. And again, start in my own heart. Search me. Search me, David says. See if there's any wicked way in me. I, Lord, start your will in me your your will be done in me your will be done in my family in my home have that kingdom come your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven oh i love that phrase and my prayer for my home (laughs) my neighborhood this city is oh lord in memphis as it is in heaven In fact, my my daughter, who is a pretty decent graphic artist, um, gave me one of my favorite gifts she's ever given me. This framed picture of the M-bridge that she she drew. And underneath it, it says, in Memphis as it is in heaven. sits in my office. I pray that every day. (laughs) In Memphis as it is in heaven. Lord, this is my city. I'm here. I'm here to stay. Unless you take me somewhere else, this is my place. I want to see that happen. Your glory in this place. You guys understand, we're going to get to this, this, our good part. We're going to get to the four and six petition that that we all want, that we all lean to. But you do understand, and I need to understand and be reminded over and over again, that starting with God's glory will inform the rest of my prayers. I will pray differently, petition number four and petition number six. I will pray it differently if my mind and heart is framed by the first three petitions. Prayers are different for what we need (laughs) when God's glory is our primary objective. Things change. I think that's why Jesus was giving us this form of prayer. That we would understand clearly that that's the goal. (laughs) That's, That's what we're pursuing. And so God says, Pray this, Jesus says, pray this. And when you get done praying that, then go to yourself. So we move on finally to our good. Christ's gift, God's glory, our good. First of all, petition, our need. Give us this day our daily bread. I do love that. Again, it speaks to the the fatherhood of God, the intimacy of God. He knows us. He knows us. And he knows that we're we're like, Lord, I'm I'm struggling. I need some stuff. Help me. And God says, you can pray that. You can pray that. Now frame it up. Frame it up by my glory, my name, my kingdom, my will. And then pray for your physical needs. God says, pray for your physical needs. Now, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament economy there, when Jesus said to his disciples, hey, pray this way, and he gets to um, daily bread. The New Testament economy was quite different than our 21st century economy. New Testament economy, you often, even if you had a good job, you often weren't, you were paid by the day. So the provision for tomorrow happened at the end of that day when whoever you worked for gave it to you. Right? So it wasn't like you got paid by the month, by the year. There wasn't a bonus at the end of the year that you could stock away. And so for them, it was very real, was very real to know, I've got to rest upon the Lord for my provision every day they could see it sometimes the hindrance and other christians around the world pray for us pray for us in america because they recognize that this is a great hindrance to us that our wealth is a great hindrance it's hard for us to see this it's hard for us to feel this because of the great wealth that we've been blessed with because it's easy for us to go well, you know i'm i'm good (laughs) you know I need some daily bread, but probably not. You know, probably not until next month. I'm good for a month. You know, maybe some of you who are really good at this have you know saved you know saved uh, enough enough salary enough so that you've got six months of reserve. You're like I'm. You know, give me my daily bread if I run out of my six months reserve. You know, it's hard for us to to grasp, but the reality is, and you all know, some of you have lived long enough to know this. What my dad said to me when i was a boy you could never be financially secure without the lord some of you watched what was your great retirement plan <laughs> sucked up in 1 year in 2008 you watched it you're like whoa didn't have any control over that <laughs> some of you've experienced being you know having a job a great job and then out of nowhere you were laid off let go And in those moments, you realize, you know what? Hey, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) Because that is the truth. Even 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 if you're blessed right now to have tens of thousands in the bank, the reality is that we need the Lord to provide for us every day. And he says, come to me. Go ahead and bring me your needs. And then our sin. He says in verse 12, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That specifically has to do not with financial debts, but with our own debt before the Lord, with our sin. We need a Savior. So it is important for confession. The time of confession in our prayers is essential. Again, you're you're speaking to God about your helplessness, and you're saying, Lord, please forgive me my sins. We're not going to take time today to go into the... Wait. Well, I'm not forgiven unless I forgive other people. How does that work? Here's simply how it works. If the spirit, if your spirit, the spirit of your heart and mind is, yeah, I'm not forgiven that guy. Then you have you have unconfessed sin before God yourself. (laughs) In other words, your first confession needs to be, Lord, please forgive me for not forgiving that guy. So it's an attitude of the heart, and that's what's being said here. Is if your attitude of the heart is, "I'm not forgiving anybody, but God, please forgive me." God's gonna be like, "Well, let's let's work on this first. <laughs> I'm, I forgive you. You're you're forgiven, but you understand you're only forgiven as you confess that to me. Like we're not gonna, you're not gonna hold me hostage while you hold them hostage to what's going on, Lord. There's there's an attitude of the heart here for us to be broken before Him, and for us, as we see in other places of Scripture, to recognize. We need to have a mindset of forgiveness like Christ has had towards us. We need to think about that. We need to have compassion towards others that people have had towards us. I heard uh, George Robertson this past week when he was given a devotion on Monday, we were talking about some of the issues of uh, Memphis right now and the, the, what's, been, what's felt like a cloud of evil settling ac- across this city um, for the last six months, and the, the many conversations I've had with some of you in this room, I've even been with men twice in the last few weeks, uh, who at lunch broke down in tears because they love the city, but they're just like, I, what, what's going on? And George was saying that he was traveling on a flight, and somebody you know, asked him, where are you from? And he said he was from Memphis, and they <laughs> said, why would you want to live in Memphis? Um, and uh, he said, because I'm a Christian... And I'm taught by my Heavenly Father that I'm supposed to love before I'm loved back. And so we don't choose our places of living even by where we're going to be loved back. We choose our places of living by where we can love. Who needs love? Who needs to be cared for? That's where Christians go. As I've told some of my friends I think if the Apostle Paul was alive today and he was hanging out with his buddies in, I don't know, Greenville, South Carolina, that's where I used to live, and he read the news or heard the news or was watching the news, I think the Apostle Paul would turn to his buddies and say, hey, let's go to Memphis. Look, let's go, let's move. His buddies may have been like, what? He's like, no, man, look. That's the place to go. They need They need the glory of God there. Let's go. Let's go to Memphis. So even as we think about the the sin in our own hearts and the Savior that we need, we look around the city and and we we pray that the compassion that God gave to us, the, the way he broke through our hard hearts, oh Lord, have mercy on even our enemies and break through their hearts too, please. Do to them, God, what you have done for me in this. And finally, our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Think about this for a second. God, doesn't, God can't lead us into temptation. Why would Jesus say, to, hey, say to your father, don't lead us into temptation. Well, he's making the point, you know, the Lord, your heavenly father, isn't going to lead you into temptation. You can count on him you can count on him to provide for you the strength that you need. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, listen, when you face temptation, God always will provide a way out for you. He will always provide a way out. And so you're saying to God, please, in my weakness, would you help me? In my weakness against the evil one, would you help me? In my weakness, in my job, in loving that person, would you please help me? Father, in my weakness... To not love this city. To not love my enemies. Would you help me? Father, in all those weaknesses, I'm afraid. My wife is afraid. My daughter is afraid. My mother is afraid. Lord, would you help us in our weaknesses against the evil one? God says, I'll answer that prayer. I'll be there for you. It's interesting to note that in this last section, these three petitions, that The Trinity seems to be right there. That God the Father, the Creator, is the one who provides for everything we have in this life. Give us our daily bread. That Jesus the Son is our Savior. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. And that the Holy Spirit is our sanctifying work in our our hearts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Holy Spirit inside us is the one giving us the strength in all of these things. Providing for our physical needs, our emotional needs as we face the sin and the, and the, and the uh, shame and the conviction and our guilt that God, through Christ, takes care of that. And finally, our spiritual needs that we would walk like Jesus, that we could walk in holiness. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. What a beautiful thing the Lord has given us! What a gift! What a gift. And to even see in this passage that our greatest good, that your good and my good, that the greatest thing that could possibly happen to me and the Erickson household and to Lynn and to my kids and the greatest thing that could happen to you, the greatest good will be God's glory. They go together. They go together. The greatest thing that could happen for Todd and Lynn is that he would let us magnify his name. And we get to do that, brothers. We get to do that. And you, every day, and me, every day, we get to walk into the Holy of Holies because Christ has secured this gift for us. Oh, our city needs prayer. And our homes need prayer. And our marriages need prayer. And our children need prayer. And our grandchildren need prayer. And our moms and dads need prayer. And we get to do it. And we have it. Let's not neglect it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. I ask that you would seal these things to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening the way for us into the Holy of Holies, that we get to enter into that place and call God, Father, Abba. Lord, may we be in conversation with our Abba all day long today, in the car, in our workplace, as we watch TV, as we listen to music, oh, that we, get to, that we get to live in the presence of God. Help us to enjoy that blessing. And Heavenly Father, we do pray for this city. We pray that your name would be glorified. Father, we, we have become, we've become a pariah to so many who look at us and say, why would anyone want to live in Memphis? Lord, the whole country seems to ask that question. So they're looking, Lord, they're looking. They're looking at this city. Oh, what a magnificent time to glorify your name. So would you do that, Lord? Would you bring your kingdom and your will in Memphis as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.